We've got another episode free of any coronavirus talk for you today, all recorded before any of this came down. So uh, enjoy the lack of coronavirus. Thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast brought to you by Mountaintop Data. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, joined by our co-host, Carla Jo Helms. Hi, guys. And today we'll be talking with Jim Tincher of Heart of the Customer about journey mapping. Uh, Jim is a journey mapper in chief at Heart of the Customer. Jim's entire career has centered around the customer experience and creating customer loyalty. He's the second person in the world to be certified as a customer experience professional. I'm going to want to know who the first person was. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's an <laughs> author and a keynote speaker, and we're lucky to have him on uh, today to talk with us about journey mapping. So Jim, first question off the bat, who is the first person? And is that who you got your certification from? It was not. It was Erin from John Deere. Um, she was the first person there, beat me by, I think, about a week. Uh, back when it was in beta. So, uh, no, I didn't find out who it was till many years later. Did you think you were the first, not know there was any uh, race there? Or what, what's the story there? And do you guys uh, hate each other to this day? No, 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 no. She's fabulous. Um, actually, I wrote a blog post about some of her speaking. She's that good. Um, I didn't know at the time. There were a handful of us in the beta, probably like 20 or 30. And uh, I was, I delayed for a long time. So I was surprised I was second. I thought a lot of people would be ahead of me. Uh, Nicole Newton, my co-author, was eighth, and uh, so we had a, we were both in that pilot group. So a pretty tight group. I know you taught um, at uh, Minnesota University, is that right? University, University of Minnesota, Minnesota. Yep, Carlson yep, School yep. of Management. Okay, so I thought maybe you gave yourself the certification uh, <laughs> and invented it. Um, but we have created like journey not. mapping certification, and so yes, I have given myself that one. Since I wrote the questions, I, I was able to pass them all. So it's yeah. kind of cheating. Yeah, you wrote well, the yeah. test and took it. Excellent. So journey mapping, obviously, people have been dealing with customers for a long time and customer experience for a long time, and yet this this journey mapping and how things are looked at today seems to be new. How how is that? Well, some of the techniques are not new. I mean, I, I was doing some of this work 10 years ago um, with a large um, Fortune 500 company and going out and talking to customers, bringing my team members out so they could hear firsthand the voice of the customer. We didn't have the map behind it, but some of these philosophies have been around a long time. Um, in the book, Mapping Experiences, Jim Callback talks about some of the early days, where I think around 2000, early pre-generators of the journey map. So it's, the concept's been around for a while. It's gotten big now. Nice. To me, I feel like customer experience and caring about it is a byproduct maybe of capitalism working right. If you go to countries where you don't have active, effective capitalism, I don't think they really care about the customer experience because you don't have competition. And it seems to really come off of not only competition and competition without corruption, but competition to the extent that a vertical gets commoditized enough where suddenly you have to care about the customer experience uh, because the customer, you know, you can't be the soup Nazi because there's 10 soup Nazis and people are just not going to come to you if you're the jerk that's serving the same product. Well, and there are a lot of monopolies that historically haven't. Um, you, know, you can use the example of cable for a long time, didn't huh. because they had monopolies. You can use the example of utilities, even airports, but what that's all changed now. Right. The DMV uh, I, does not have great customer service because they have zero competition. 
Well, they don't, but there are expectations. They are set. And so actually locally, my DMV three blocks down, I got in and out in 15 minutes. Are they sloth um, characters from the <laughs> <laughs> from the movie? What was that movie? <laughs> Uh, maybe Zootopia, something like Zootopia, that. Zootopia, yeah. yes. Zootopia. Not that I, I don't know. I don't have kids. I don't know. But seriously, <laughs> what is causing this um, customer mapping, this journey mapping? Why? What's causing it to become so big? Is it because the economy is more and more robust, or has it been that way more than three years? Yeah, we're becoming well, just the, better as humans. Well, I think what it goes back to is kind of the opposite, which is go back to 2008 to 2011. Everybody cut every extra expense. And with a downturn, it was so bad that everybody's cutting everything. And then some, coming out of that, organizations started investing more into the customer experience and started seeing better results. Yeah. And some of the firms didn't. I mean, some of them kept that. Um, you know, we, we worked with one client that Six sigma all personal contact out of their customer relationships because they were just trying to cut every cost possible. And groups started realizing, you know, that doesn't work because – the groups who came back first and started reinvesting jumped ahead. So everybody else right. said, wow, I, I've really got to figure out what customers need. Sometimes they just do it by throwing resources, but a little more strategic and say, well, let's get a better understanding of what really matters to the customer and then invest there. Right, right. Interesting. Um, so it goes back to when we had a financial crisis. That makes sense. I think so. Recovering from it. Now that we're so strong, groups are saying, all right, um, pricing is becoming less important, features less important. It's got to be about the relationship. And so that customer journey map is helping them understand what needs to be in that relationship. Right. The other features get commoditized. You see in the car industry nowadays, everybody yeah. makes a great car compared to the 1980s. Uh, and so now all the advertising is not about the 10-year powertrain warranty or anything like that. It's, it's about how much love their car can provide kind of. Right. It's, well, in B2B, everybody's competitor is now Amazon. Uh, Any time we will do a B2B <laughs> journey, that people always reference Amazon. I want that kind of a easy experience. Or they'll talk about a USAA, even though those are B2C. It's informing the B2B, and they're trying to figure out how do we create that, that personal experience that people are expecting. Hmm. So we've dabbled into the customer uh, customer mapping here a little bit. You've written a book on this subject. I kind of want to get into some of the key points that, uh, that you highlight there. But let's jump back before we get any farther into this into um, you, where you came from, your company, what your company does. Can you give us some, some broad strokes in that area? Sure. Uh, I started a small business, went to Best Buy, left there naively thinking every company was customer obsessed. I thought that's just the way you operated. I went to a very large, actually a Fortune 50 company, and learn there are other models. And in my division, literally nobody in marketing and product development had ever met a client. Right. And so I said, I want to visit clients. And my boss came back and said, why? Well, I, I don't know. If you have to ask me that question, I don't know how to answer it in a compelling <laughs> way. Um, and we were building the most complex products in the market, uh, B2B2C product. We led the nation in sales. We also led the nation in percentage of people canceling their accounts. And I came in as a product guide. I thought, well, if I want to prove my revenue, I'm going to try to fill those holes by understanding what's going wrong with the customer experience. And um, so started bringing people out, meeting customers, and we learned a ton about them that really helped us to plug some of those holes. And um, left from there, did a couple bit of consulting, and um, joined a research firm, and was one day told I'm in sales. 
And I go, I'm in sales now. So that means I get to drop my projects, right? No. Leads? No. And so surprise, 10 months later, was fired for not being able to uh, sell. <laughs> you weren't meeting your, your sudden quota, <laughs> exactly. job, uh, job change, yeah. Well, while I was there, I wrote a, uh, we were asked to do a journey map. And I didn't know what a journey map was. So I researched it. And they gave me a PowerPoint slide with some dots on it. Said, here's your journey mapping template. And I got offended. I said, well, you can't take the richness of the customer experience and represent it on a PowerPoint slide with bubbles on it. And so I spent about a month thinking about how I would do it. And I wrote a blog post. It was in the early days of the blog. We had 50 readers, my wife, my mom, you know, the usual. And 48 and went, other family members, yeah. Exactly, yes. It went viral. Um, and now 110 people have seen that. 110,000 people have seen that post. It just went I was like 110. You got the in-laws in too. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> but so when I got fired, um, heartofthecustomer.com was the number one site on Google for anything journey map. So I thought, well, there seems to be a hunger here. And two weeks later, I had the first sale. And now there are 15 of us. Uh, we do nothing but journey mapping pretty much and customer experience research. So Heart of the Customer, that was originally the the site you'd created for your blog on this stuff? Yeah. And that was what started out. It's the world's ugliest site. I, I really like purple and blue with a little bit of uh, maroon mixed in. That was mm -hmm. great coloring. And then I hired a graphic designer who said those colors are all going away. But yeah, that uh, originally was I, the blog site. You got to do what the NFL does and go throwback every once in a while and just put up your original your original site. I don't think she'll let me do that. Yeah. No, she all those files. Hey, I mean, you look sometimes you look at some of these uniforms the Steelers are wearing on the uh, throwback days, and you say that is so ugly, and yet they still do it. You know, get some nostalgia for the ugly websites. I want to. Yeah, we should do a throwback day with all the putting up the clip art graphics and all that kind of good stuff. <laughs> We'd have Making to get the logo bigger, yeah. Get the graphics to actually slowly load from the top down, like they used to in the '90s. Uh, Big banner ads, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep, pop up banners, all kinds of good stuff. Um, okay, so wow, so you didn't start out. It wasn't like you came out of college and you had studied customer journey. That was something you came across in in your career, and then yeah. just really got into and I would say maybe in a in a timely fashion. Because it's it's such a big, it's such a, it's a hot thing now. <laughs> Taking oh, care of the really, customer yeah. is a hot thing, which is awesome yeah. for the customer. Um, it's it's uh, interesting. It makes me think that you know I saw something a while back saying all these large companies have have been dying off, and they didn't used to. Um, these really big brands are suddenly. I saw that article or right. study or whatever. Yeah, they used to be really ingrained and, and they couldn't just die off. And then suddenly you see things like Kmart and Toys R Us and brands just dying. And I mean, you referenced Amazon before they might be a big uh, reason why in some of these areas, but a lot of big brands. And I think maybe when they were so big, they didn't really have competition in the market. There was large barriers to entry and uh, they kind of ignored the customer because of that, because they oh, yeah. didn't, they didn't have to take care of the customer. So and then once competition starts showing up, they just weren't really in shape to, you know, they were asking, why should we talk to a customer um, instead of, uh, you know, hey, we need to be talking to customers to, to adjust at all. They just thought, hey, we're big. We're going to keep steamrolling forward. Yeah, this um, is the way we do things. We'll just keep doing it. It's worked so far. I guess that's, that's a huge red flag to all the companies out there who haven't caught on to this. Maybe you should pay attention to your customers train that, uh, it's, it's a real thing and they need to, uh, they really need to pay attention to it. Um, which takes us back to journey mapping. 
So journey mapping, obviously we've had a podcast before about the customer journey. Uh, same thing, I assume. I, I, I'm not familiar with that. I mean, the journey mapping, part of the challenge of journey mapping is it means such different things to different people. Right. I want to make sure we're talking about the same stuff and I'm not. So there's know, not an industry in standard on that yet. If that's what you're saying. Right. I'd say it's evolving. You have some people that believe you take all the people that broke your customer experience, throw them in a conference room, toss in some post-it notes, maybe some snacks. Hey, we've got a customer journey map. We have a new strategy. Here we go. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, that, that's a hypothesis map. And we know from our research, it's wrong. Feels mm. good. Um, you'll get the steps probably right. But we did some analysis and we found that, because um, we, we do that the first step of our phase. I ask you to predict what you're going to find. Um, the average company, when we ask them the three most important parts of the customer's journey, they come up with 8.3. It's not that they're bad at math. It's just that they can't agree. They have different ideas what it looks like. Every silo thinks their part of the journey is most important to customers. And then when we actually look at what the customers, not what they told us, but we look at their behavior, look at what's most important in the journey, our clients miss two-thirds of them. Wow. What are the, what are the top three most important? Well, typically it has to do with trying to find out what's happening at your company. A lot of waiting and lack of transparency. The domino, I had a post a couple of weeks ago that Domino's ruined it for everybody. Now, as soon as that pizza tracker showed up, people started wanting, if you can get transparency on when your pizza is going in the oven, why can't somebody else give me transparency on where my chemical shipment is? Mm. Why can't I find out where my, low, my business loan is in process? And so Amazon followed that up with a lot more transparency for their ordering. And now everybody expects that. And very few people are delivering against it. So I'd that, say that's the competition the part. That's yeah. we had when my company started back in the early 2000s, we provide data for marketing. And the model back then was you would go to a data company and you would say, I want the manufacturing list and you would pay for it on a cost per thousand. And they would give you the manufacturing list and you would do what you would with it. But you had license limitations also. You could send out, you know, you had license for three mailers over six months or, or whatever type of licensing you arranged for the data. We came in and said, we're going to guarantee the accuracy of the data. Those lists, half the list would be bad. And they were just like, that's how it is. Go get a list somewhere else or not. And you'd have to come back every year and buy the same list over and over again. And so we came in and, and it's the competition part. Basically, we did it because we needed to to get into the market. And we said, hey, here's how we think it should work. And this is going to give us a foothold in the market. Um, it seems like, so you can say it ruined it. We had companies calling us in the industry saying, Hey, you're going to ruin our model. Stop it. This is how it's done. If you want to make money, you can't sell them the list once you need to sell them the same list every year. How are you going to make money? And you're going to mess up our money also. Um, and you know, they were very unhappy with us in the industry. I think when you say they ruined it, they ruined it for the industry on behalf of the customer by providing more. Now, maybe oh, yeah. they're providing stuff you don't actually, like, who needs to know when the pizza's going in? The, next, they're going to have a camera in the oven so you can watch your pizza being, like, it's too much information. Can you just deliver it to us? Can it just show up when it shows up? Um, so maybe this constant flow of way too much information, but you need something to mention in your commercials as a, hey, look how great we are for, you know, a new feature, a new customer-friendly feature that really maybe you shouldn't be adding. In that sense, I could say maybe they're ruining it, but giving the customer more, a better experience, more of the experience that they would want. Oh, yeah. It's, it's that transparency. Ruining. The transparency you said was one of them. What were the other two? Well, they're often related to that. Um, waiting, 
is another key one. And what we really find, if we look at the end-to-end, -end, especially in B2B, the end-to-end -end experience, the typically most important phase of it is right after the sale. Yeah, it's so true. Orientation, implementation, onboarding. It, the title varies depending on the industry, but in the ongoing relationship, it's, it's what, what your mom told you is right. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. And it matters. If you do not establish out of the gate your relationship with customers that they're important to you, then they never pay enough attention to learn actually how to use your systems well. You never build that reservoir of trust. And so in the on long-term relationship, we see that is almost universally the most important moment. It's that it's also where all the handoffs happen, where you're moving from sales to operations. That is the most critical part. And that's a lot of our work is mapping that specific moment in the end-to-end -end customer journey. So the execution of the product once it's purchased, it's almost, to go back to the pizza analogy, um, if pizza places are at some point, pizza places were making pizza and you could come in and order it, and then they said, hey, you can order over the phone. And then they said, hey, we'll actually bring it to you. But before the bring it to you part, it was, you can order the pizza, now you have to figure out how to get here and pick it up and bring it home. Um, uh, you know, it, it sounds like you're saying companies are slipping up in that aspect a lot. They sell the B2B product, but the onboarding and the execution of the product is left up to the client. And sometimes they just don't. It sits there and they're like, well, how do we execute this now? How do we implement it? Um, which leads to a bad customer experience. And obviously, a year later, when you try to sell them again, if the previous one is still sitting there gathering dust, they're not exactly going to be hot to try. All right. The second order, or if it's a subscription product, the renewal. Um, one of the other challenges with that is companies will invest a lot in the sales experience to make sure there is a strong relationship. You've got a strong partner. There's somebody out there understanding all about you, giving you exactly what you need. And then once you sign, well, that person's clearly gone and nobody fills the void. And they don't pass the baton over uh, effectively because it's still, you're still in sales when you're handing them off to the delivery department, whatever that is, right? So some of the groups, there's no way to pick up the baton. There's, mm. there's just nobody to receive it. You, you go from a one-to-one -one relationship to a call center where whoever happens to answer the phone is your relationship. Oh, wow. That, that happens a lot of times. Otherwise, what can happen is that there is a person, that person is spread through so many accounts, they really can't give you any attention. Mm -hmm. um, I was talking with a um, customer of one of our clients, and I asked, do you have a relationship with my client? So yeah, we have a commercial relationship. With, no, 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 no. Do you have a relationship with my client? Oh, me? Well, no, I used to, when we went through implementation, I had somebody assigned to me, but now, no, I don't. So you were done, you moved on at that point. Competitors. Yeah. And so it makes it really easy to answer those calls because I'm not letting anybody down because I don't have a relationship. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So where does this, where does the journey mapping start? Is this top of the funnel marketing? I mean, obviously it sounds like you're saying the key part that we just focused on was around the sale itself and after the sale. Um, but when you're doing journey mapping, are you starting top of the funnel or are you starting at that point at the, the around the sale and, and, and beyond part? It really varies depending on what you're trying to solve. Um, customer think did some work uh, back in January. They came out with a report on the most effective customer experience organizations. 
And they found they were more likely to have done a broad end-to-end -end from awareness through purchase, through utilization, through renewal, and then come back and done sub-journeys after that. Mm. Um, we don't do a lot of that work. Uh, it, it is important to do that broad end-to-end, -end, but often we get a call. It's a client says, I, I need to actually drive change in this area. Uh, we've gotten this negative feedback. We need to fix that. And so we tend to do more of the very more focused one. So you start with the pain point first, the low hanging fruit, get that fixed. And do you ever go more broadly after that? We do occasionally. Uh, we work, for example, with a company that sells um, products into the hospital space. The first one we did was their implementation journey because they had syndicated data that said implementation was the most predictive of renewal five years later. And then we came back for a division of theirs and did a more end-to-end -end journey of an acquired division. So we can mm. understand that overall experience. Um, so it seems that, I mean, you're talking, to, it is called journey mapping and we're saying it's the heart of the customer, not the heart of the prospect of your company. So right. it seems to be focused less around acquiring new customers and more around the retaining of, of customers and the, again, the customer experience versus the lead generation and sales experience. Well, well that varies. So 40% um, of our work comes with customer experience. That's pretty much all post-sale. 40% comes from marketing. That varies. And the CEB came out with research about 10, 15 years ago. They're not part of Gartner. That 57% of the B2B sales process happens before your rep's involved. Um, that number is getting broader. Customers are self-educating. It used yeah. to be 20 years ago, they'd have to talk to you to learn anything. Mm -hmm. Now they're self-educated. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So we have had a lot of people ask us, okay, what's happening at 57%? Let's understand that. So we do that work as well. Um, it really comes back to what business problem you're trying to address. Interesting. Okay. So I've got a note here. Um, around three journey mapping processes. Okay. Can we, can we dig into that? And maybe, maybe the best way to approach this, can you give us an example kind of walking somebody through a journey mapping, whether it's a real life case study or, or a hypothetical? Yeah, give us something. You bet. Um, so yeah, we talk about the five question framework we have coming in. And this is the first three of the questions. We find that, the, well, the first third of the book is really just about what you need to do before journey mapping and to make sure that you're really going after the right area to map. And so you're referencing the first three questions and they can go a little bit in different order. But the first thing is that what's that right business opportunity or problem you're going after? Um, that can be that something's broken, the most common reason. Um, we have a new initiative, for example, a digital transformation we want to inform by the journey map, or we have new leadership or something's changed and we really need to go broadly most of our work is that something's broken and we need mm -hmm. to fix that thing that's broken. And so I guess that's when people get brought in most often that it isn't like everything's great. Let's go bring in a, a company to help us with this. <laughs> right. Exactly. Something's on fire. So yeah. um, in the book, we use an example of ABC software, clearly not their name. Mm. Um, we also have an example of the YMCA and of Meridian Health, a hospital out in New Jersey. What we find is that most of our work is B2B but none of them will let us use their names. Uh, we can't yeah. use their names or load the examples, but this, this one client- and Nobody wants to talk about the problems that they're having in the company. Exactly, yes. <laughs> we really sucked at this. So we hired, no, no, nobody <laughs> wants to talk about that. Oh, that's funny. Of so, course. Uh, 
we used ABC software and their first problem they did was exactly the one we talked earlier. They said, we saw the CEB software, uh, CEB, sorry, research that said that so much that process is happening before our sales reps involved. So what's happening? And um, the second one they did is they write software for banks. So they want to know how banks originate loans. Uh, but if we use that first example, the business problem was, you know, we're closing a lot of our sales but we know a lot of sales are happening. We're not invited in on. So what's going on there? They want to understand what's, what's happening with that. So that was their business problem is they want to understand what's happening in that B2B journey before they get to us. Right. That, so they use KPIs of close rate and opportunities. And that's one thing we, we say, you got to really figure out what are the KPI we're trying to drive? And it's not an NPS score. A KPI should never be a survey score. It needs to be share of wallet, um, repeat orders. What is it you're trying to drive? Let's start there. Right, right. So it's not the uh, give me a 10 out of 10 or I'm fired uh, survey that you get no. after buying the product. I love those because I always score low and I feel a little bit bad, but I'm like, hey, a 10 should be almost impossible. And they're like, but if I don't get a 10, I'm fired. And I'm like, this is stupid and pointless. So you. If every customer, like, Either you don't buy if you had a bad experience, so you don't get the survey, or if you buy, they're like, by the way, I have to have. And so now they ask, like, did the salesperson request? I'm like, yeah, but everybody knows anything below a 10 is unacceptable. The right. bar is set too damn high. I'm like, come come on. Like, use it internally maybe to tell relatively from one account manager to the next. But when you use it in your marketing to brag about how good of a customer experience you have, like, all, all you're doing is making it so that people can't answer honestly or you can't use the information for anything other than a marketing point to say hey look how much people love us <laughs> you're so cynical <laughs> yeah. but you're right it's the, the nps score is example net promoter score has become largely meaningless because it's gained so much um, and and the customers know that i mean the consumers yeah. know that right again i feel bad every time i give a four uh on one of these things i'm like experience was great four <laughs> no, I never do that, but I rarely. No, I rarely give a ten. I'll give a nine or an eight. I, I even God, so I did something on my wife a while back, and I was supposed to give some reviews uh, somehow on on her. Wait a minute, you gave a review to your wife? I don't Maybe remember what it was for, it. but for somehow I had to score her in, in in different areas, and I had to tell her like, listen, you know, I don't give high scores easily. Like, don't. <laughs> Don't feel bad when you see it was, I don't know, it was for an interview or something like that, maybe. And um, she got the job. So so how was that couch anyway? Yeah. <laughs> couch? <laughs> you think I got to sleep inside? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, those scores seem to push those outside the company rather than using them as something internally. It's just yeah. bizarre, but that's, that's all you seem to see of them. So Again, yeah, we tell our, we tell our clients that you know your CEO may say he or she cares about the net promoter score, but does your CFO? Yeah, because that's who your CEO listens to. What would your CFO assign? How would they measure this? So that's where we start with that. I just say put something general out in your market. Say our customers love us. Don't come up with well, some how technical should number. the CFO think about it? Not all CFOs have the same viewpoint, but well, no, we, but they would look at, for example, do the customers order again? All right. What was the time to value for an implementation or an onboarding journey? What was the time to value? Okay, see if folks care about that. I'd say, um, yeah. does the net promoter score start with a dollar sign? No, then why are we looking at it? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. That's what they care about. And if right. you're not driving that, then you know, we find a lot of customer experience groups are told, don't worry about proving the numbers, we believe in it. 
and then they get new leadership and the new leadership <laughs> never believes in it. And so you've got to be doing it for a reason. Um, Interesting. So the first, the what's the journey part? I've got these three. What's the journey? What's the problem? What's the customer? What's the journey? I want to nail down. I feel like people are listening and they're like, but I still don't know journey mapping. What exactly does that mean? What's the journey and what's the map part of this? Um, we got to go to break in a couple of minutes. Before we do that, can you, can you nail down for us what, what we're mapping here with the journey mapping? Um, well, that flows from the business problem. What's that journey? So for example, uh, we worked with a software firm. Um, so if we go back to this earlier one that uh, the ABC software, they wanted to know about buying. So they went to understand from a decision to go to a new software product to through selection, not implementation, anything else. They just wanted to know that phase. The second project we did with them, which is the um, how to bank originates commercial loan. We took them out just to follow along from the relationship manager bringing in to sending it back out. What is that process there? So really, where do we want to start? Where do you want to end based on the business problem? And so it can vary. Again, you can do it end to end, but more often you're not going to drive a KPI from that. So you want to go narrower and say, okay, what do we know? And often, um, I mentioned earlier, implementation is a key one because if there's a renewal or a repurchase, those are the KPIs you want to understand by looking at how is this implementation or onboarding going. Okay. So I've got a couple things I took down here for that I, I would see and uh, let me know if I'm on the right path here. I'm looking at when you're, when you're looking at the journey mapping for any area in particular that that's maybe a problem point, you have your internal logistics. So maybe there's some issue with how they're managing the CRM, what KPIs they're looking at, what fields they're using, what triggers they're using to interact with a customer, that kind of, that kind of stuff that could potentially be a problem that needs adjustment. Um, and then you have your customer interaction, like the points at which you're touching a customer, you're interacting with them. Is it the, um, you know, your guy calls them on a Sunday to make sure their kid got to their, uh, to their game on time that you see in, in, in commercials for the financial advisor type stuff. Like when and how are you actually interacting with the customers? I think you'd mentioned, you know, companies that they made the sale and then they were done. Like maybe the customer walks back into our store and buys something and maybe they don't, but we're done. The sale's over. Um, so it's, it's making sure that you're maintaining that customer interaction. And then the, the third thing I got from this is the customer expectations, not just saying, Hey, our logistics are set up for us to track what we need to track and have the information we need to have and have it passed off properly. And then yes, we're reaching out and, and interacting with the customer, but then maybe the mapping part of it is we're interacting with them in the way that they would want to be interacted with. Or yeah, how do you measure that at, at the times they need? Is that all about um, doing surveys of the customers and, that, like you said, going out and talking to them? Yeah, not surveys. I mean, surveys can be a part of that, but it's it's a conversation. An experience is a personal conversation, and so what we do is we will then take members of the team. And in a B two B firm, typically ninety percent of your employees have never met a customer in person. And so we'll take them out the team and, and meet customers. How prevalent is that across the whole B2B industry? Like it's pretty common. Um, really? Yeah. You've got a lot of people in product. You've got a lot of people in IT. You've got all these different places that never touch customers, at least not at their site or in person. They may occasionally have a phone call, but what we find is that visiting the customer on site will drive more change than any report. Got it. Interesting. So do you have to, for instance, our company, we're, we're all outbound. We don't visit customers 
on site unless we happen to be, you know, going through the area and say, Hey, here's a good customer. Let's stop in and say, hi. Um, we don't have outside salespeople. Everything's inside. We do phone and email and that's, that's how the interactions are done. It's not a product that has to be presented or displayed in person, that kind of stuff. So we may see customers at a trade show. That's kind of our, our interaction. Do you really need to have the in-person or can it be done over the phone? No, you have to be there in person for a couple of be. reasons. One okay. is that um, you'll pay a lot more attention. You're out there. Second of all, your customer is no longer in an artificial environment. They're right there and they can take you on a tour. They can show you what's happening. Third, you can talk to multiple customers back to back to back at that same multiple people at that customer right there. Um, fourth, we record it so you can bring it back. But what we find is a very different level of change when you're actually at the customer site. Um, so that's for us, that's a non-negotiable. Um, we, we need to be at your customer site. We'll do some web-based interviews as well to, to fill it out, but we need to get your people out and you will learn new things by being out there in person. So seeing them face to face and then just being in their space also makes a big difference. Absolutely. Okay. Excellent. We're going to take a really quick break. Um, when I come back, something to, to think about here, Jim, I am going to ask you if there's standard questions to ask when you meet them in person, is it just all over the place, depending on the situation with that client or are there standard things that you really need to know in any given situation from, from clients? So keep that in mind. Jim Titcher, um, he is the, uh, this part will get edited <laughs> out. Whoop <laughs> uh, <this> is- <laughs> <Look> real. <laughs> the journey mapper in chief at uh, Heart of the Customer. And uh, we'll be right back after the break. Is your data company ignoring and gouging you or gouging and ignoring you? Those are the main reasons our customers move from the previous list provider, Mountaintop Data's top data search platform. What's Top Data Search? Well, with Top Data Search, you can search our database of 20 million plus business contacts and download lists with complete contact information. It's a convenient tool for both sales and marketing departments to get accurate lists. It's free to have an account. There's no annual contracts, no seat fees. Top Data Search is just easy access to accurate data. And when you reach out to us with questions, we actually give you answers. Visit topdatasearch.com and sign up for a free account with the coupon code IYM300 and get 300 free credits. Or if you're just curious, go to topdatasearch.com and run some searches on our open search tool, no account needed, by clicking the search now button. That's at topdatasearch.com. Okay, we are back. You're listening to the If You Market Podcast. We have Jim Tincher here with us, the journey mapper in chief at Heart of the Customer. We're talking about journey mapping. Um, Jim, before the break, I asked you, are there standard questions? When you're meeting these customers in person, are there standard questions or is it really something that's uh, bespoke for, for each customer meeting? Well, it's built around what is that business problem, journey, and customer that we're going after to understand it more. And we will do a hypothesis mapping session where we ask you to predict what we're going to find, and we'll validate some of that. But one question I really like we use with a lot of our projects is, when you think of our client, what three words come to mind? We find that's really powerful because what our clients think their customers will say about them is almost always different from what they actually say. And being able to have that on video and just do a stream of customers talking about what words describe you is really powerful. 
Wow. So you say on video, are you wearing like a police camera type setup or do you sit them down like <laughs> an FBI interview and uh, put the light lights on over their head and everything? No, no. We, uh, we just bring in standard consumer electronics. We get a Best Buy um, and use that. We'll give them a nice microphone. But um, our clients are always nervous about it. But their customers Why? are fine. Especially once I, we explain that being on video creates a lot more impact at the client site, they mm -hmm. almost always agree. Over 95% will agree. We've had doctors, we've had lawyers, all kinds of people who are all bankers, all agree to be interviewed on tape because they know it'll have more impact. Got it. Interesting, interesting. So I guess when you put them on tape, is there some sort of form that they need to sign? Oh, yeah. Or, or that you sign for them saying either we will or won't use this? Uh, um, we do or don't have the rights to publish it internationally and all that kind of stuff. Well, we tell them it won't be used for marketing, only be used for reporting. And we do tell them actually it's, it's confidential at the beginning, which mm -hmm. confuses them with the big video camera in their face. But we tell them at the end, we're going to ask, now that you know what we've talked about, is it okay to use your clip? And some will say no at that point, which case, great. We will still create the transcript, but we'll anonymize it. Um, but most, again, vast majority agree to it. And so we do give them the power to say no, and we do have them sign a form. But almost everybody says yes. Do they ever ask for points on the back end? Like, hey, if you're going to put this in a commercial, I don't want to see myself showing up on your- well, the lawyers, yes, but no, not the, nobody else. <laughs> I'm going to need to be compensated. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you mentioned the, the questions, and, and I think mm -hmm. what you said is the questions need to revolve around the problem. And I right. believe you're saying that's the problem that the that you're having as a company, not that your customer, not your customer's problem, but the problem that you've identified in your in your sales and marketing cycle, kind of in your customer retention. Um, so you're really focusing everything around their experience in that area. Yeah. For example, we go back to um, another software firm, not ABC Software, another one. Their their problem was retention. It was a licensed product every year or every two years. And um, they knew the implementation was a big predictor. And so our questions had to do with about going into implementation. What's it like? We talked to people that had just been through implementation or were currently going through it so we can understand what their journey is like. So the questions were much more focused on implementation. They didn't have to do with usage. They didn't have to do with buying. They had to do with, we know our implementation process isn't as good as it could be. So all the questions around that. Right. And how a lot of questions about how do you what feel. Um, emotions are a huge part of B2B purchasing. Now, most of our business clients have a hard time getting their head around that, especially the CFO, but it does matter. And so a lot of it is, how did that make you feel? Right. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So you're, you're coming in, you're, you're identified the problem you have in your customer retention, whatever area it is you mm -hmm. look, work on, and you're asking them questions around that to resolve. It makes sense. You'd mentioned specific customers also. How do you identify which customers um, that you should talk to? Are, are they customers that are in a particular process at the moment, have already gone through that process? Um, do you just grab them at random out of a hat? Well, it comes back to, again, it all starts with that, what's the challenge we're having? So in the case of implementation, let's say we have an undifferentiated implementation journey. We know that. Um, so that's the business problem. The journey clearly is then implementation. And then we'll say, okay, so is it everybody goes to implementation? Is it a specific product line? Uh, we have one client that said, we have five products that go through acquisition. All five are implemented differently. And since the same customer buys all five, it can drive them nuts. So we talked hmm. to people who've been through each one of those. Um, but you wouldn't want to talk to somebody implemented two years ago. They'll give you answers, 
But those answers are so biased because it's been so long. You really right. want to get to somebody who's just recently been through it so that it's still real. The they feelings are fresh. Exactly. Right, exactly. Right. Still the scars. That's who you want right. to talk to. Okay. Uh, so you've, you figured out who, what companies you want to be talking to. You want, you need to get feedback from, so you can work on this, this journey mapping and fix the problem you have. Then the, the next big question I would have is who do you reach out to at those companies? Is it the contact you're selling to? Is it, you know, is it someone else in the company and how do you reach out to them? How do you get the, you just say, Hey, can I come and talk to you? I have some questions. Um, is there, is there a, a way to get them to, to say, yes, come and talk to me without thinking you're going to come and try to twist their arm to sell them. Yeah. Do, you, do you offer them a Starbucks card? Like how do you get them to, to interact might, with you? It might way? be a team of people because whoever you sold to mm. may not be the point person. Right. Right. We'll typically visit three to five people at the client. It, it depends. We've done all day. We've done one or two. It, it depends what looking at, but it is usually a team of people, right? There's the economic buyer and the economic buyer often isn't the user. Um, so we want to understand the economic buyer, but we also want to understand those who are commonly working with you. Um, and so we, we want to identify the profiles. The jobs will vary. The titles vary, but we understand the profile. And, um, and I can tell you, if I call them, try to do it, it'll never work. Really? They don't know me. Yeah. yeah. I, I wish everybody knew me. Uh, that doesn't happen. So you we get LeBron James call. to do it? Like you get the, you get a celebrity to, to come on and say, hey. This is Dwayne The Rock Johnson calling asking you to do an interview. We, we haven't tried that one. Maybe we should try that. Or at least somebody that can do it in impersonation, you know. <laughs> you, you didn't think I did that well? Yeah. No, that was fine. That was fine. But you get a Barack Obama impersonator to call him up and show up, and then maybe they're more likely to, uh, you know, uh, to, to want to have the meeting. No, we, we, we talked to whoever has a relationship with them is the one who sets it up. But that person's not invited to the interview hmm. because if that person's in the interview, they'll never say anything bad about that person. But they need to be there to set it up. And then we'll bring in somebody from their client to be part of that, to hear the stories. Uh, we leave the interview they're there, but we do need somebody at our client to, who knows their client to set it up. Hmm. How do you motivate and incentivize the client to want, because this seems like a lot of work for no re just because you asked. We don't pay them. We don't, B2C, yeah, we'll give gift cards. We'll give $50, $100, whatever. B2B, there are so few clients, most people have, so few B2B clients. Those clients know that by talking with you, they'll have impact. Yeah. So you have to promise that you're going to use the information and then, then they will listen. They will be part of it. But if you don't, close the loop afterwards, by the way, they'll never do it again. So you basically the incentive to them is you're saying, Hey, if you'll let us come and talk to your team, we will use your feedback to make our product better for you to make exactly. the experience We're only going to talk to a handful of clients. You're one of the few we've selected. Will you give us input? We find that basically one out of every four or five will say yes. It's not everybody. Uh, we just did one recently on um, the customer were insurance agents we had over 50% accept. Um, that was rare. It was a good thing. And you bring donuts too, right? But, yeah, we'll bring in donuts. That's fine. <laughs> but it, it, it's really about that relationship. Interesting. Okay. Um, it's, I mean, it seems like the customers that are having the worst experience, there's got to be a drop-off cliff where the people you really need to talk to in some industries that are having a big problem or some companies, their experience was bad enough that they don't want to meet with 
with the person, is there a point which you say, okay, we've got a real problem in a certain area here and we can't get the feedback from the people because the problem was bad enough where you look to do a quick phone call feedback or, or email feedback or, or some type of survey like that? Or is it really, you've got to get customers in the room type of a thing? Well, nothing says we're going to take your feedback seriously. Like I will fly there to spend the day with you. And so if it's that bad, they won't even accept a visit from you. Then, yeah, you're, you're, you're probably sunk overall. You're probably not going to get that renewal. Um, but Well, not that renewal, but you're looking for their feedback so you can get improve your process. Um, I mean, it, it occurs to me that half of the clients, when, when account managers call them, don't, you know, they don't take the call. They're busy doing other things. It's not their, it's not their top priority, so they're, they're not going to bother getting in a, a call set up at all with a, with a client can be difficult. Getting a meeting set up with a client to pick their brain for something. I, I mean, it seems you're saying it's not as big a hurdle as I feel like it is. Um, I feel like it's a, it's a bigger hurdle. Let's say when people are experiencing really low conversion rates and getting their customers to actually say, yeah, let's set up an appointment. Are there any, any tricks or is that just part of the feedback that they don't want to meet with you? We have varying levels of success, but would, if we're not getting people to say yes, it's saying you're probably not have the right person calling them and you're not committing to make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we find that if we can have even the account manager. Uh, I if, can't if even imagine com- that the companies would not want that visit and would not want that dialogue. It's been a case. So there are sometimes where it's such a low involvement. Like, what will I say? Although it's never been yeah. interesting to get there. But if it's that low of involvement, they're probably not hiring us anyway. We're right. doing the most critical journeys. They're, it, in order to afford the $100,000, $150,000 it takes to hire us, you've got to be working on a really strategic problem. Right. So we're looking at, at mid to large size companies that are doing this process, at least with a company like you. Maybe smaller companies are doing it on a smaller scale um, th- th- themselves. And then the product itself probably has to be a fairly important product to the client. If it's just a widget on the side, again, they're not going to want to take the time you know, because they signed up for some small plugin or something like that to, to meet with your company. It, it's got to be more like, hey, you're the CRM within their whole company or Exactly. If they're not spending enough with you, they're not going to care to meet with you, I guess. And, and that's exactly right. And yeah, they're not, if they're spending a thousand dollars with you, it's not going to be worth it to, to in a year, not going to be worth it to spend time with you. But if it's much more strategic, then they're going to. Right. And then the improvements that you'll make also have a much larger impact for them too. Exactly. And that's what it's all about. So this is almost like a post uh, or after the fact beta test group you're looking to put people in saying like, Hey, you're going to be one of a handful of people that gets influence on our product. We're not in beta mode, but we're going to, you know, we're always making adjustments and we want you to, to have input on that adjustment, um, exactly. adjustment uh, of the product. Excellent. One last thing I want to touch on as we get to the end here, um, you have three journey mapping processes. What's the journey? I mentioned these earlier. What's the problem and what's the customer? Why does the customer come last in those three? Well, it's, it's, and there's actually five total, what's the right approach and who's the, um, and who's on the team. It, the order has nothing to do with importance. It's simply being that um, you start with what's really, what's going to make the most impact. So you look at that business problem, it's most going to do that. 
From that flows, what's the journey? And then which customers are most impacted by this? It just naturally flows from the other two. So once you've identified our problem is how do people buy um, this compliance software? And then the journey is the actual purchase process. All right, now once we know that, let's look at who are the most important customers to talk to. And so in that case, you, you might, if you start with the customer, you might say, okay, we want to talk to XYZ company. But then you realize they, they aren't the best fit for what we're trying to learn. Right. So then you come back and say, okay, now that we know what we're trying to do, now let's look in depth at which customers are going to be the most important ones to talk to. And we find if we start with the customer, with trying to identify the customers first, it gets really messy. But if we understand here's what we're trying to accomplish, now people can say, okay, I know exactly who we need to talk to. Or I guess if you take a single customer that's having a problem, and so you start with them, oh, they, they came to us with a problem, you could let one customer's problem that maybe is just them drive your whole process mm-hmm. versus identifying in, in general the, the journey and the problem before getting the customers. Well, um, we have but, done single customer journeys before. The, this would be a massive customer with many different right. sites, but we have done that before as well. So in that case, I actually did start with a customer and then flow back. It can happen. Any of these, these three questions, the right business problem, the right journey, the right customer, can it be answered in any order? It's just that we found this is typically the most common way it's done. Fantastic. Um, anything that I've, uh, that I've missed here, anything that you want to throw on top, Jim, before we, before we uh, sign off here? Sure, just really quickly. The actually most important um, item, so we did some research a couple of years ago. I should have led with this. Now we're getting the most mapping. important item? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm, I'm a journey mapping geek. My license plate is J-R-N-Y-M-A-P. And we did the survey. I just automatically thought that everybody's journey map was successful. But we asked the question anyway. We found that two-thirds of the time, people said the journey maps were not successful. We asked why? Because nothing changed. Mm. What do you mean changed. nothing changed? They did the map and then they tr- they never fixed it? What? Exactly. Nothing flowed through. They had fun doing the mapping. It was all good. Uh, that was typically because they didn't really follow a discipline process. And one part of that is question number five, which is who needs to be part of the journey mapping team? Interesting. Uh, so maybe you didn't have the problem is in the sales to marketing handoff and you didn't have both sales and marketing on the team. So one... The sales right person on the wasn't team. there that was supposed right. to implement it. Sales is on the team and they say, great, here's the fix. And now they take it to marketing. Marketing's like, nah, I don't think so. We're not going to implement that. We don't want to change our CRM or whatever it is. Um, we don't want to change our process. So not exactly having right. them in the decision-making team can, can leave you to people to decide not to make the, the changes once it happens. Yep. And so you really have to take the time to make sure you have the right people involved or else it's just a feel-good exercise. All right, which doesn't hurt. I mean, it has the word "feel good" right in it, but it'd be a lot better if you if you actually change things and make your business more successful. Um, all right, fantastic. I like you mentioned your license plate there. I'd also like to throw out. I noticed you've uh, you've taken improv classes. <laughs> yes, I have. Is that fun or that business related? That was some of each. It was really good to do that. It helped a lot with workshops. It helped with speaking. Just be able to think on your toes. So I highly recommend it. I've always thought every company should have a comedian on staff in their marketing department and every, every marketer and every salesperson should take improv classes. Oh yeah. It's, I, I haven't done it yet. I need to still. 
So. Oh, you get out there. When you're in front of an audience and you've got, it's just you, or maybe you and one other person, the other person isn't playing, you've got to figure out a way to make it play. And uh, it's, it's a great experience. We sometimes refer to this podcast as the B2B marketing improv hour. Uh, so I feel like this is my <laughs> class sometimes because <laughs> none of this is scripted. We, uh, we have a couple talking points. And then as everyone can tell who's listened to any number of these podcasts, we do a lot of fun rambling. <laughs> but you don't have an edit or you do have an edit in your situation so that's yeah a yeah i'm sure bit. a spot or two in this episode that might get edited out when i completely stumble over uh, <laughs> your name and your title and your company and everything you um, needed a snickers it's like something yeah. you just something happened you needed a snickers so so jim we have reached the end here um a couple things you have a book on journey mapping can you, can you uh, plug that for us, let people know where they can find it? Sure. It's um, how hard is it to be your customer using journey mapping to drive customer-focused change. Um, it's available on Amazon as well as through Paramount Publishing. And um, th those are the two main distribution sites. I wrote a competing book called Genghis Khan's Customer Experience Plan. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow less successful. successful. Somehow less successful in the customer <laughs> experience side, though. I mean, you can dominate, but... You got to break a couple laws. Um, okay. And then you can find uh, Jim online on LinkedIn. Of course, you can find his company, heartofthecustomer.com. And uh, anywhere else where, where people uh, can come find you, maybe on Twitter, Jim? Uh, yeah, Twitter, Jim Tincher, or um, HOC Journey Maps uh, is the handle for the company. And Tincher is T-I-N-C-H-E-R. That's correct. Go ahead and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to talk to you. Fantastic. And uh, thank you for everybody listening. You've been listening to the If You Market podcast. Please share us on social media. Give us a good uh, review on iTunes. Uh, tell a friend. Do one of those three things is all we ask. And uh, on behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the If You Market team and Jim, and Jim Tincher of Heart of the Customer, here I go again, stumbling over my, my tongue. Thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with journey mapping, they will come. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>